person should consider us in this way as servants of Christ and managers of God's mysteries. In this regard, it is expected of managers that each one of them be found faithful. It is of little importance to me that I be evaluated by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even evaluate myself, for I am not conscious of anything against myself, but I am not justified by this. The one who evaluates me is the Lord. Therefore, don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will bring both light, bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of hearts. And then praise will come to each one from God. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the saying, nothing beyond what is written. The purpose that none of you be inflated with pride in favour of the one person over another. For who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If, in fact, you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? You are already full. You are already rich. You have begun to reign as kings without us. And I wish you did reign so that we could also reign with you. For I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place, like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the world's garbage, like the dirt everyone scrapes off their sandals. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For you can have 10,000 instructors in Christ, but you can't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved faithful son in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are inflated with pride, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will know not the talk of, but the power of those who are inflated with pride. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, readers. I should have said before, my name's Andy, one of the pastors here at church. It's great to see you. Um, We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 4, so keep that open. If you've just closed your Bible, if you need a Bible, put your hand up and someone will come and bring you one. Uh, Let me pray for us as we get stuck in. Heavenly Father, we do praise you that you are a speaking God. Uh, We pray, Lord, that we would humble ourselves before your holy word. Please would you speak into our souls. Please would you change us so that we might be more like Jesus and bring glory to you. Amen. Well, 1 Corinthians 4 is all about pride. Uh, We saw the prideometer earlier, and the dictionary describes pride as a feeling of deep pleasure 
uh, of one of satisfaction derived from one's own achievements. Good, good definition, isn't it? Better definition would be to take a week out of the life of Pierce. So I've been keeping a pride diary this week. Let me uh, share some highlights with you. On Monday, I got my first piece of preacher fan mail. Uh, all the way from California. does wonders for hum- your humility, doesn't it? On Tuesday, someone phoned me up and asked me about our Christmas outreach. I had a great pleasure in telling them about our four to 5,000 people that come along to our church carols. That was a highlight. On Wednesday, and I'm a bit embarrassed to admit this, I looked at the weblogs from the church e-news to see how many hits my sermon got. And I'm pleased to tell you that I beat Paul Dale by two hits. I hope you enjoyed that, Ian Robins. I saw that you were on there. (laughs) On Thursday, I managed to fold all the newsletters without the newsletters jamming in the folding machine. Uh, Stu Lloyd will know what an achievement that is. I was awesome that day. Um, On Friday, Friday was my day off, so there was no pride there. And on Saturday, yesterday, I finished off my sermon, worrying about whether I would make you laugh or whether you would stone me afterwards. Now, those are just, just the things that I feel comfortable telling you about. The rest of it is none of your business. I had a week of prayerlessness, too much prayerlessness. I tried to stand out above other people. I tried to impress other people. But most of all, my pride showed itself in how I long to be in control. Now, our culture celebrates that, doesn't it? It celebrates pride. But 1 Corinthians 4 has a serious warning for us. It says, beware of pride because it destroys churches and stunts Christians in their growth. Uh, one preacher said this, uh, pride is not something to be handled. It is not for you It opposes and destroys. Uh, Paul says here that pride destroys churches. And pride uh, was destroying the Corinthian church. Uh, There were factions and there was bickering about Paul the preacher was best or whether Apollos the preacher was best. And he sums up this whole section from chapter 1 to chapter 4 with chapter 4 verse 6. Have a look with me. It's the purpose of this whole section. The purpose is that none of you will be inflated with pride in favor of one person over another. Now, I'm sure that you are not going to be launching an Andy is rubbish campaign or Webster is best campaign. But I'm sure if I've experienced pride this week in my life, uh, you will have experienced pride in your life. John Stott said uh, this, it's brilliant. John said, said, pride is the stubborn refusal to let God be God and attempt to dethrone God and enthrone ourselves. I wonder whether that rings true with you this week. I know it does with me. Uh, We have a a reluctance to let God be in charge of our own life. Uh, We see pride Everywhere we look in our own lives. Maybe we've been a victim of someone else's pride. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. And you've been in just one too many churches uh, that are full of pride 
and full of hypocritical Christians. Well, the warning in our passage this morning, and my big idea, if you like, if you're someone who likes to scribble down a nice pithy sentence, well, this isn't it because it's far too long for a a summary sentence. But my big idea is this. uh, Beware of paralyzing pride that stunts spiritual growth, but be liberated by gospel grace to grow in Jesus. So I've got just two points this morning, and we're going to do it slightly different. I'm going to take us through the passage twice. We're going to look at two things in the passage. First, we're going to look at the paralysis of pride, and then we're going to look at the liberation of grace. So we'll go through the passage quickly twice. So firstly, the paralysis of pride. And the first thing I want us to see was that the Corinthian church uh, was a church paralyzed by pride. It was stunted in its growth. And it was a horrible place to go to church, full of judgment, full of disunity. Have a look with me at uh, verse 3. This was a church founded by the Apostle Paul, uh, Jesus' Apostle himself. And look what they do to him. Verse 3, it is of little importance to me that I should be evaluated by you or by any court. In fact, I don't even evaluate myself Uh, That word evaluate means to examine with uh, a view to intentionally finding fault. This was a church full of judging nitpickers. We've all been in those churches, haven't we? They were looking at their leaders. They were looking at each other, what they said, what they did, how they prayed. And they were looking at them so that they could get the next foot on the rung of the spiritual status ladder. To feel good about themselves and to look down on everyone else. It was not only a place that was full of judgment and disunity. It was also a place that was trying to keep up with the rest of Corinth. Uh, Corinth uh, was a prosperous cosmopolitan, obsessed with status, obsessed with self-promotion and personal rights. It was that kind of place. And the Corinthian church were full of ambition and wanted to be just like Corinth. They hadn't ditched Jesus. They just wanted Jesus and they wanted all the other things that Corinth wanted. So verse 8, Paul uh, turns the sarcasm volume right up to 8. Have a look with me at verse 8. He says, you are already full. You are already rich. You've begun to reign as kings without us. And in verse 10, Paul calls them wise and strong and distinguished. You can feel the sarcasm, can't you? Now, their crime uh, uh, was not their brains or their bank balance. Their crime was that little word, already. Did you see that in verse 8? You are already full. You see, God promises in the gospel to every single Christian that one day we will reign with Jesus. We will reign as kings. We will have perfect wisdom. We will know God perfectly. Uh, We will live in a world where there's no suffering and no starvation. But for the Corinthians, they got their timing wrong. See, this is a a future promise. But the the, the Christians in Corinth, through some twisted thought process, thought they were there now. And so they developed this kind of slippery uh, pole of success, wanting to be like Corinth. Wanting to think if they got their Christianity right, then God would bless them in this kind of place where they'd arrived. 
And that would have been a cruel place, wouldn't it? The Christians, the rich Christians would think would be full of pride because they thought that they were very good Christians. And so God was blessing them with all these possessions and all this success and prosperity. And what would it be like for the poor Christians? They'd be asking, well, what's wrong with me? Why haven't I already been made rich? What have I done wrong? What's wrong with my relationship with Jesus? Paul says, verse 15, the Christians in Corinth had 10,000 Christian gurus, but not many fathers to help them grow. Apostle Paul doesn't really sell this church, does he? You've got to think that uh, he doesn't really sell this church. This was a church paralyzed by pride. It was not thriving. It was not growing. Imagine being in this church. Imagine being in a church like that, judged as you come through the door. Listening to people bragging about their their gurus, uh, bragging about which theological camp they stand in, dropping the names of their favorite preachers. Imagine what it would be like for you, feeling the pressure to fit in, thinking as you go to church, what shall I wear? What shall I say? How can I drop big theological words into my conversation to make me look spiritual? How can I dress up my language to make me look super spiritual? We've all been there, haven't we? We've all dropped the God, I'm feeling really, God really wants me to do X, Y, and Z. We've all dropped that, haven't we? We've all dropped uh, the name of the book that we've looked at on the, uh, the night before rather than reading it. We've dropped that name of that book. We've all been proud. We've all tried to impress each other, to show each other just how spiritual we are. And Paul says, beware. Beware of pride because it paralyzes and it makes this church horrible. I've said it before that uh, churches all too often are a bit like fitness first. You know, when you go to the gym and everyone is comparing themselves to the person next to them. You're on, on the treadmill comparing yourself, looking at the speed at which they're going. Churches shouldn't be like that. We shouldn't need to impress each other with our special relationship with God. You, if you're a Christian here today, you are equally as blessed as the person you're sitting next to. Your relationship with God is just as secure, is just as real as the person who's sitting next to you. You don't need to drop into conversation. I really feel God is telling me to buy that house. We shouldn't feel like we need to dress things up. Tell your Christian brother and sister uh, that you're going to buy a house. Don't dress it up with God, feel God telling me to buy that house. Tell them and then let them rebuke you if you need rebuking. We need not to be like fitness first. Uh, We need to be more like the emergency room up at the hospital. I think we need to uh, watch what we say or do over morning tea. It's very easy to make someone feel like a second-class Christian. But the truth is, there are no second-class Christians. Uh, We need to uh, ditch the feeling of superiority because we are already superior in Christ. and It had nothing to do with what we've done and everything to do with what Jesus has done for us on the cross. 
And that really is the solution to this pride issue, the the paralysis of pride. Uh, The solution seems to be that Paul wants us to soak ourselves in grace. That's the only cure for pride. And that's our next point uh, this morning, that we see the paralysis of pride. But also in this passage, uh, we see the liberation of grace, the liberation of grace. Uh, Read with me verse 7. It really is the pivot in the text. Uh, Paul says this, For who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If in fact you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't? received it. Paul takes the air out of these inflated Christians by saying, everything that you have is a gift. There is nothing that you've done. There's nothing that you are, nothing that you've said, nothing that you can claim as your own. God has given you everything in Jesus. And that is a, a, a true leveler, isn't it? Everything you have is a gift. Your faith, Uh, Your church, your life, your house, your job, everything that you have is orchestrated by the king of the universe so that you may proclaim the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness. Everything has been constructed by the Lord so that you would be his man or woman in that place. And when we see everything as a gift, when we see that the only thing we've contributed to our salvation and this life is our sin, then that is enormously liberating. Uh, Paul says in verse 10 that the, uh, um, sorry, in, where is it, where is it, where is it? We'll come back to it. Uh, Paul says, imitate me. I just can't find the verse. Imitate me. Someone shout a verse when you find it. Uh, Paul says, imitate me. And it is enormously liberating when we imitate him. Just look through the passage again and see how liberating. Verse 16. Thank you very much. To the prize to the woman in the front. Um, uh, uh, It's enormously liberating when we see how Paul is transformed uh, by the grace of the Lord Jesus when he knows that what he has is in, all that he has is from the gospel. Just have a look at verses uh, 1 to 5. Let me uh, read 3 and 4. He says, It is of little importance to me that I should be evaluated by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even evaluate myself. Verse 4, For I'm not conscious of anything against myself. But I am not justified by this. The one who evaluates me is the Lord. Do you see how he's liberated from the audience? Uh, We spend our lives in front of an audience, don't we? We go to work and we perform our jobs in front of an audience of our boss and our colleagues. We carry out our personal lives in front of an audience Uh, of our friends and the people we love so dearly. We come to church and we can feel like we carry out our Christian lives in front of an audience of of, uh, rich and successful people at church by the bridge, Kirribilli. But Paul says, when we're liberated by grace, uh, when we play to the audience of one, then we are freed from that. Verse 3 and 4, he doesn't care what they think. 
he knows, verse 4, that he's not justified by his fellow Christians. He knows, uh, verse 5, let me read verse 5. Therefore, don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. Now, that is a scary verse if we're paralyzed by pride, isn't it? But it is a liberating verse if we are liberated by grace, if we know that all that we have is given to us by God in the Lord Jesus. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. Uh, Paul is playing to the audience of one. He knows his Savior He knows his judge. He knows that he is justified by the blood of Christ and not by anything he is or anything he he has done. And that is enormously liberating and enormously attractive, isn't it? When you understand that all you have is from Jesus, then you start to truly live for Jesus and love like Jesus. We've got the slogan, haven't we? Live for Jesus, love like Jesus. And sometimes it can be uh, uh, that we feel like we've got to put on that mask of living for Jesus, loving like Jesus, when uh, we're here on a Sunday or we're amongst Christian friends or when we're in certain situations. But when we understand grace, we're liberated from that bind. We're liberated from that mask. Uh, Paul also shows us that he is liberated by this treadmill of uh, success in the world. Uh, Have a look with me at verse 9. He says, For I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. He's contrasting the world of Corinth where everyone is on display and everyone is on show with himself. And he presents us with this image of the Roman arena. And did you notice how how big this Roman arena goes? The end of verse 9. We have become a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. This is a cosmic Roman arena. A cosmic version of the Hunger Games. Uh, God has put his men in front of the cosmos. To show God what he is like. Verse 10, he says, we are fools for Christ. Verse 10b, he says, we are weak in Christ. We are dishonored. He says, verse 11, that we are hungry, thirsty, poorly treated, homeless. We work with our own hands. Verse 12, uh, that is is the most uh, demeaning work in the first century, to, to work with your own hands. But look at the liberation that grace brings to the ministry and to the life of Paul. See, he tells us it it doesn't matter about the rat race that you're on or the slippery pole that you think you're going to climb to success, the the career ladder that you feel you must keep climbing uh, to keep your head held high in our society or even at our church. See, Paul tells us uh, when we understand grace, Uh, When we know the God who has saved us, who has sent his son to die for us. Well, it doesn't matter if we work at Deutsche Bank or whether we work at McDonald's. It doesn't matter whether we uh, boss people around and tell people what to do. 
or whether we get our hands dirty, landscaping in someone's garden. God has given us everything we need in Jesus. Look at verse 13. It's an extraordinary verse. He says, when we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the world's garbage, like the dirt everyone scrapes off their handles. Paul says, we are the scum of the earth, but we belong to Christ. We are ridiculed. We are the lowest of the low. But when we, we are slandered, we respond with grace and holiness. You see, that's what matters. It doesn't matter if you become CEO or partner of your company. What matters is, is that you understand grace. That you play to the audience of one. That you are shaped and molded by the love that Christ has shown you on the cross. And that is enormously liberating. It means we don't have to follow the, be in the race that the world is in. We don't have to trace the, uh, down the career path. We have everything in Christ. One day we will reign uh, as kings. And God says, be my man in the arena. Be my woman in the arena. Be my missionary in Deutsche Bank. Be my missionary in Maccas. Be my missionary as you speak to people, landscaping other people's gardens. That is the liberation of grace. And, and you see in verses 14 to the end of our, our passage that, that he is also liberated to love in a way that is just extraordinary. He says, I'm writing this, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. At this Corinthian church, he visited four years ago when he wrote this letter. He could have just forgotten them, uh, written them off as like that was a, a bad mistake. But the, the gospel of grace compels him to love these Christians in an extraordinary way. Do you see, he says you have 10,000 instructors, but you can't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, the relationship we have because of the gospel of grace is a relationship of family. Uh, when you share the gospel with someone and they believe the gospel, they become like your son. When we encourage each other in Jesus, we are doing it as brothers and sisters. I wonder if the Apostle Paul came here on, on a Sunday and became part of our church. I wonder whether he would be satisfied with our small talk over morning tea. I suspect he would be massively dissatisfied by that. If he is uh, to go to such lengths to keep the Corinthian church on track, uh, a church that he knew four years ago, then I'm sure that he would be incredibly ingrained in each one of our lives. That is a, a challenge, isn't it? When we're gripped by the gospel of grace, we are liberated to love each other. And we should do that. The church should not be uh, fitness first. It should be the emergency room. It should be like the nursery, where we're nursing each other in the Christian life, when we're taking care of each other, uh, keeping each other spurred on till that day when we will reign like kings, when we will be rich, when we will spend eternity in the new creation, where there is no sickness and where there is no starvation. We should not be competing against each other we should be caring for each other not obsessed with small talk but meaningful pastoral conversations 
to ask each other, how are we really going? We should have relationships where we should be able to say, I've had a terrible week. I've stuffed up. I've fallen into that sin again. And we should be able to to spur each other on, to keep trusting Jesus. That is only possible when we understand the gospel of grace. When we understand that Christ has become the lowest of the low to make us reign as kings for eternity. He has done an incredible amount for us and we need to be thanking him for all that we've been given, he's given to us. Uh, praying, that, uh, praying to him, knowing that he is in complete control. We're not in control as much as we think. And approaching the Lord Jesus with confidence, knowing that we are not different to any other Christian. Uh, we're not different to any other person in the world apart from the gift that God has given to us in Jesus. We're not different, but we are chosen children, special, and will reign with him as kings one day. Let's pray.